Okay, guys. All right, guys, if we could be uh, making our way back to our seats and opening up our Bibles and our minds and our hearts, get ready for a time um, studying the Word of God. How's everyone doing? Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Uh, who likes the weather? Who likes the hot weather? Okay, so in, who, who is just like, this is just way too hot for you? <laughs> it's just like, we are so uh, fragile, aren't we, as humans? It was uh, maybe a month ago we had 10 inches of snow or something like that, month and a half. <clears throat> so, well, I hope you have a great time, whatever you're doing. Um, I just looked over at Chris Moose, and he took his sandals off, so I'm staring at his feet. Anyways, uh, sorry, just distracted me. Didn't Jared talk about distractions and how they should help us worship God, right? Amen, I'm worshiping now. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, all right, well, let's just open to Acts chapter 13. Uh, Memorial Day is a day to uh, honor and remember men and women who have shed their blood and given their lives for a cause greater than themselves. Amen? And uh, this is what we see in the first century church. Jesus, starting with Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, they died to themselves and they died to living for themselves and they are now living for a cause that was not just greater than themselves, but it was also a cause that was eternal, amen, and a cause that would make an eternal difference. It was God's cause, empowered and emboldened by an eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we're to a key kind of turning point in our study in the book of Acts. If you're visiting with us, we're walking through the book of Acts, and we started in January, and we're about halfway through or so of the book. And... Um, we're at a turning point, and I want us to, if you could show the, the slide, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, gives us uh, kind of the thesis statement of the book. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We keep reminding ourselves, right, that this isn't just a book about the first century church. This is a narrative, a story of how the Holy Spirit entered and emboldened and empowered the disciples, and the church sprang from that. Amen? Um, so, uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witnesses. And this is kind of a thesis statement for the rest of, or an outline, so to speak, for the rest of the book. Uh, in Jerusalem, we saw uh, about the first six or seven or so chapters in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria, so we see the Word of God spread, not just to the, their immediate neighborhood, neighborhood and neighbors, but to, to the more of a regional area. And we started to cross cultural uh, boundaries. The Jews hated the Samaritans, remember? They called them half-breeds, and there was all kinds of historical tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So the gospel, though, Satan overcomes all these barriers and spreads throughout. Uh, and then to the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 13 so we see, well, let me, let me back up. So you see uh, um, Gentiles start to become Christians here in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Okay, and so up until that time, it was just all 
Jews. Now, there were Jews of uh, Greek uh, culture um, in Arius, but they were still Jews, and now Gentiles start to become disciples in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 11, we're introduced to the church in Antioch. Okay, And Antioch is a key um, city for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So in Acts chapter 12, we kind of go back to some persecution. And then in Acts chapter 13 here, we see the church in Antioch really form and become the push-off point for the word of God to spread to the ends of the earth. And so from Acts chapter 13 on, we see primarily Paul and his missionary journeys. There's very little left of Peter. We see a little bit of Peter in Acts chapter 15. But now we see Paul and his missionary companions, um, the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. Okay, So the Holy Spirit uses the church in Antioch as a sending church to catapult the word of, word of God to the rest of the world. So today we're just going to look at about five verses. But for this message today, we're going to be thinking about teamwork, what we see in Antioch, and um, the readiness of the Antioch church to send missionaries. And we're going to use them as an example and a vision for our church here in Eau Claire. Amen? Um, a lot of times we've talked about, in our vernacular, we talk about being a sending church. Hopefully, if you've been around us very long, you've heard that. We want to be a sending church. What we mean by that is we're not as concerned with our seating capacity as we are with our sending capacity. Now, think about that for a second. What difference does that make? Let's have a little interaction. When you think of seating capacity versus sending capacity, what comes into your mind? Brad? Brad? Multiply. Actually, I have a pointer today, so. Is it working? Yeah, got to turn it on, like Ellen said. She, Ellen gave me a really important message. You got to turn the clicker on for it to work. Okay, Brad. I'm sorry. What did you say? I was distracted with my clicker. Multiply? Multiply. Multiply. Amen. That's a lot like marriage, right? It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Okay. Wale. You don't have to buy a bigger building. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Gerald. Capacity is a bon ego. Okay. Could be. Yep. Okay, right. There's a, there's a huge, in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s of our church culture in America, it all became about the megachurch. It's called the megachurch movement. And it was all about bigger and better, and it very much paralleled the, the economic world and the business world, bigger is better, et cetera, et cetera. So there can be some ego involved in that. Okay? Kathy. Okay. And I would, we want to even expand it, the worldwide mission making disciples, but what has to go on locally? Same thing, right? In order to send, you got to have people wanting, willing to go and eager to go. Jeff? Okay, challenging yourself, teaching others. Yep. Amen. 
right? To our neighbors, our schools, our workplaces, right? We carry in us a mission. And that mission is just not to give to them, but to inspire them to be givers and goers themselves. Amen? So there's a process there. Okay, one more. Oh, now I, okay, two more. I can't say no. I think it Renee. Kind of pushes off complacency, like getting yeah. stuck in, like, this is it forever, um, so that we could have a mission of, like, oh, I'll go anywhere, <laughs> wherever God calls me. Isn't that easy to do? Kind of get in our religious routine. We go to the church. We sit in the same chairs, right? <laughs> Who was it that totally threw me off the other? Terry. Terry sat in that church right there, that chair last week. I was like, whoa. Whoa, whoa. We are embracing change around here. Okay? And Jesse, now you're back. Back to where you're comfortable. Okay? Where she will be next week, Terry? Right here in the front row. Okay, Jesse. Mm. Amen. Adventure, there's an adventurousness to their faith and letting go, embracing change, that sort of thing. We're going to talk about this. Boy, you guys should just all just do the sermon. It's good stuff. Okay. So those are all previews to, to uh, what we're going to study here. But Antioch was absolutely ascending church. You don't really see that much so far in the, in the history of Christianity. There's kind of two main pillar type churches, Jerusalem and Antioch becomes a pillar. And you don't really see it as much from Jerusalem. Now the church needed, the Christianity needed Jerusalem, of course. And just like different, uh, um, you know, different people and different families, there's different characteristics and core values of each family. It can be different in, in, in both good. Amen? Okay. Um, okay, so this idea of sending. I, uh, now, we're in Wisconsin, right? And Wisconsin is famous for what? Cheese, besides cheese, besides cheese and beer. Uh, far, oh, the, who said the Packers? Man, talk about bringing down the mood. Um, farmers, right? Farming, okay, farming. And I grew up on a farm, kind of. Um, but uh, um, when I, this verse right here, it says, uh, well, let's just start to read, and then Ellen's going to cue up a video, Okay. Got a short video that it's, it's, makes a point, and I hopefully it provides a little humor. Uh, but we all know what happens when I try to attempt humor, so we'll see how it goes. But I want to start here in verse 21, Acts chapter 12, to kind of catch up a little bit. And last week we ended with Herod um, killing James and then reaping what he sown here in verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod... Wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. The word of God continued to increase and spread. So all throughout the book of Acts, you see the expansion of the Word of God and what comes right along with the expansion of God's Word, what comes right hand in hand with it? Persecution, right? Opposition. You see external growth, you see internal growth, and you see tension and opposition coming all along. But 
never does the persecution stop the word of God from spreading. That attributes to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so whatever you're facing, um, the word of God can spread in you and through you. Amen? Okay? So what we see is the word of God spreading. Now we see Antioch kind of become this church that's spreading the word of God. So I want to give us a, an example from the farm. Who's heard of a manure spreader? Okay? And a uh, uh, um, little video here. Frontier Manure Spreaders. Hydraulic push series features high-capacity spreader boxes for distributing in fewer loads. And optional vertical beaters provide a wider spread pattern. Or go with a Frontier all-purpose spreader. They're ideal for liquids or solids. There's the Frontier. Yeah, that's good. Doesn't that just look like fun? <laughs> Woo! And then you drive by a farm these days, this time of year around, and you're just like, whoa, someone's been spreading the, not the word, something else. <laughs> but it hit me, it's like, you know what the church is like? The spreader. Amen? And we're not spread, it's a little bit of a stretch. I understand. But it's not manure we're spreading, hopefully. Okay? But the Word of God, right? We, we catapult, the Spirit catapults the Word of God into a world that needs it desperately. So anyways, we get analogies from all kinds of places. Who knows? Who knows where that analogy will end up? But you will remember... You will remember, next time you see a spreader, know what you're going to think of? That stink, that point was kind of stinky, kind of smelly. Or I could do the, what is it? The stanky leg? Okay. Keep her moving. Let's Brad say it? Nailed it. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's move on. So the word of God continued to increase and spread. All right. This is church. You need to stop laughing. Okay, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, remember what their mission was here. Their mission, they took up an offering for the poor. the famine that happened, right? They took an offering and they took it down to Jerusalem and, and gave that to the apostles, okay? Gave it to the people, all right? So they completed their mission, and they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, it's interesting because uh, Mark is a relative of the apostle Peter's, okay? And uh, there's lot, lots of things about Mark um, that we'll get into later. But uh, he, uh, so they, they brought with them John, also called Mark. In chapter 13, verse 1, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there 
to Cyprus. So here we have the first sending, the first missionary, strategic, intentional journey to Cyprus. And the rest of the book of Acts is a lot of describing these missionary journeys. But I wanted to spend a little bit of time today just on the church in Antioch because there's some key things in here of how they're doing church that are a vision for how we want to do church. Really what I, what I believe that the Spirit is forming. Okay, so the first is spiritual teamwork. Spiritual teamwork. So Luke takes the time to go through these different names. So whenever we see that in a lot of geography going on, so whenever we see that in the Bible, there's a reason. Okay, there's a reason. We want to take note of that. Okay, so let's go through these names, and I want to show the map here. How, ooh, that's, is that too, can you see that very well? Kind of small? Not too bad? Okay, so um, first of all, it says that there were prophets and teachers. And we'll get into that in a minute, but then into this, these names. So, so first of all, we have Barnabas. Okay, so we know Barnabas. Barnabas introduced to us in Acts chapter 4, son of encouragement, okay, very much a glue. He brought Saul twice in, one time to see the apostles. He went to found him in Tarsus again and brought him to the church in Antioch, okay, and they taught great numbers of people. That's Acts chapter 11. But anybody know where Barnabas is from? Anybody remember? A little, uh, little, little Bible quiz, a little test. Anyone remember where Barnabas is from? Barnabas is from Cyprus. That's right. This is where Cyprus is, okay? So here's Jerusalem. Barnabas is from Cyprus, all right? And now we have, and he's, he's, he's a Levite. He's kind of the glue uh, of the fellowship so far. And then we have Simeon, okay, called Niger. Niger is a, a term that means black, okay? Um, and so... The experts are saying that he's probably from this part in Africa, a little bit, wet, little bit west of Cyrene, okay? Um, so we have so Barnabas from here, Simeon from here, okay? Then you have Lucius from Cyrene, who's right here, okay? And this could be Luke. This could be Luke who wrote the book. And they don't know that for sure, but there's evidence that it could be Luke. A lot of times Luke, Luke never writes about himself in the book of Acts. He's always kind of in the scene, but somewhere off. So a lot of times these writers will refer to themselves as the third person. Like, much like uh, Mark did in the book of Mark, referred to himself. He was probably the guy that ran away from Jesus, the young man that ran away naked. Okay? Um, so this could be Luke. From who wrote the book. Okay, either way, though, he's from Cyrene. Um, the next guy is interesting. His name is Menan, and it says that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, brought up with doesn't, it, it could mean just like childhood friend. It's kind of, the, but it, it also can mean um, someone who ate at the king's table. Someone who ate at the king's table, much like Jonathan with, with David or excuse me, uh, Mephibosheth with David, who was Jonathan's son, ate at the king's table. But people who said, were said to be eating at the king's table were someone who was probably in the court system. Okay? So this could have been 
someone who was in the high, uh, one of the high court members of Herod. Now this Herod, there's a lot of Herods in the New Testament. And I've, it's hard to keep them all track, but kept, keep them all straight. But this Herod was the one whom uh, John the Baptist had a few words for. Uh, John the Baptist said, uh, Herod, you're, you're sleeping with the wrong lady there. Okay, He confronted him while he was in prison on his adultery. And Herod didn't like that too much. And in essence, eventually had him beheaded. So Menaean probably was in the court system of this Herod. And you think about what John the Baptist said in seeds that were sown, possibly that led Menaean to follow Jesus, faith in Jesus. So pretty interesting, huh? Um, okay, and then you have um, Saul, right? And we know Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, we know. These others are, are a little less, but they're all, and, and where's Saul from? Okay, so here we have Menaean. Uh, actually, Menaean was probably more from in, in this area. Barnabas, Lucius, uh, Simeon, and Tarsus is right here. That's where Saul's from. Okay? So what do you just, simply by noting their geography, what pops out? Very diverse. Very diverse group of leadership from all over the earth. Did you ever think about why Antioch such, had such a worldwide concern? These people are from all over the place. Pretty interesting, huh? Um, so they were very diverse. We know this. The geography, culture, upbringing was different, di very different. Um, their experiences, their families. Um, Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, very Jewish, all this. Um, all different kinds of experiences. Um, oh, another note about Simeon from Cyrene. This could be, and some people say probably is Simon from Cyrene. Remember who Simon from Cyrene was? He's the one who carried the cross for Jesus. Could you imagine that experience? Carrying Jesus' own cross uh, when Jesus couldn't carry it any longer. So you have all these different experiences, different stories coming together as one, very diverse. The Spirit used, though, this, not only this diversity, but this unity to spread the gospel throughout the world. Boy, there's some big, big ideas that we can gather from this. I really don't believe the Spirit intended to have different churches based by their race. So we shouldn't have a black church and a white church and an Asian church, et cetera, et cetera. The Spirit has a vision for all nations coming to one church. Amen? Amen. Diverse, different, rich, poor. And today, think about how divided our world is. And there's so many lines of division, political lines of division. How hard is it right now? For those who have a conservative slant to get along with those who have a liberal slant. Pretty challenging. You don't see a lot of love feasts happening uh, on Facebook. Okay? How about, uh, um, you know, you can have, you have all different kinds of uh, uh, socioeconomic statuses 
uh, upbringings, racial tension, uh, so much diversity that Satan is using to divide. But when the Spirit takes the diversity and brings them together as one, that's what the body needs. This is what rounds us out. This is what completes us. You know, I personally, uh, I'm from, if you, you know, Joel from Plainview. Okay, so I'm from this podunk town in southeastern Minnesota. And it was really creative naming of the town, right? <laughs> Boy, what should we name this town? I don't know, it's kind of a plain view around here. Okay? <laughs> so they named it Plainview. So, and yet I can be friends and closely connected with someone from a different race and a different culture from inner city Chicago or, or wherever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? When I was in the church in Minneapolis, some of my best friends uh, were African-American descent. And it just, it became so much, we were, we were one. We didn't, we didn't think about, boy, we're really different types of people. Uh, we were brothers. We were one. This, that's the power of the Spirit, okay? So I want to talk a little, you know, whatever, you, whatever world you're in, you are, you are in a team, Rob, probably. At work, you're in a team. In your neighborhood, in the church, we have small groups. That's kind of a team. We have team leadership. We believe in team, okay? Um, what does it make for, what does it take for a team to go well, all right? Because Satan wants to kill team. Satan wants to de destroy and divide, right? That's what his agenda. Spirit wants to unite. One is uh, commitment. You got to be all in. Allie is a friend of ours from, uh, who's baptized here and now in Minneapolis, but Allie is a basketball coach. Um, and how does it go, Allie, in coaching your team if three-fourths of the team is really committed and one-fourth of the team is just kind of show up when they want to? How does that go for the team? Just awful. It's, it's horrible, right? It destroys the team. You know, uh, Jordan has a soccer, she's on a soccer team, and the coach called an emergency meeting. And the issue was the depth of commitment. Um, and he wasn't against multiple sports and all this kind of thing, but he's basically saying that, hey, a lot of the girls, when they come, they're so burnt out from all their other commitments, they got nothing left to give here. And it's interesting, the commitment level that's normal in the church in America. It's normal. What's normal in church is they basically kind of come when you want to, come when it's convenient. And we think about how does, how, if, you're, if you told your boss at work, you know, it's just not convenient for me today to come in. I think I'm just going to do, I think I'm going to rest today. Well, if you've got a, you know, number of vacation days or a really lenient boss, but if everyone was doing that all the time, it wouldn't go very well, right? Um, how, about, how about marriage? You know, I think that, um, I think just today, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to choose to not be married today. But we'll, we'll, we'll pick it back up tomorrow. How would that work? What if that just becomes the norm in our society? Where's that going to head? How about parenting? Guys, I love you, but I'm taking a parent day off. <laughs> okay. Um, no, there's, 
when we're dealing with things of God, there's only one, one level of commitment. It's either in or out. And that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus established. You're either following me or you're not following me. You're either all the way in or you're all the way out. It's like when you play Texas Hold'em. This is one of the best. And someone goes all in before you. you. You're faced with a choice, aren't you? Now, we don't promote gambling. But sometimes you can play without money involved. Amen? Okay? So when someone one before you goes all in, what do you, you're faced with a choice, right? What are, what are your choices? You either all in or you at least match what they got or you fold. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm either, you're either all in or you fold. But there's no in between. All right? Um, the culture in a church of come when it's convenient, it kills the unity. Kills the teamwork. Okay? Secondly, though, it's not just commitment to commitment. It's commitment to Jesus. The core is Christ. So the core is Jesus. Philippians 3.8. I, I want us to turn over there. And we're talking about what is the culture here in Antioch that helped them be this spreading, this sending church? The first is the spiritual teamwork. Commitment in the Philippians 3, verse 8, verse 7. It says, But whatever was to my profit I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul wasn't just committed to commitment. He was committed to Jesus. For whose sake I have lost all things. I know whom I have believed. Amen? Okay, so the core is Jesus. Number three, you have commitment, you have core, you have respect. So all these diverse people coming from different angles different uh, perspectives, there had to be a mutual respect for one another that produced a mutual submission. And this is one of the biggest things that kills our unity is when there's threads of disrespect. When there's threads of we don't understand and we come, jump to conclusions instead of really listening. That thanks to our, leads to our fourth thing, which is communication. The communication, in order to build team, there has to be open communication, listening to one another, constant communication, okay? So this isn't a communication class, but everyone who's been married or has tried to have children knows that one of the keys is we've got to be able to talk to each other and talk to one another openly and honestly about how we're really doing and what we're really feeling, okay? Um, open communication. Let me ask you a question. Uh, are you a safe person for someone to come and openly communicate with? Are you, do you handle that well? Okay. If you're not a safe person to communicate with, if you're intemperate or if you're, you jump to conclusions or rush to judgment, then people more often than not will probably go to someone else to communicate with, right? And uh, that's trouble sometimes if they need to be communicating with you. Okay, social media warning. Okay, I'm going to jump out of the text here and jump into the 21st century. Social media can be a good way to communicate certain things. Amen? Um, 
it can then also be a bad way to communicate certain other things. All right? So I would, be, before you, you know, post, and I know Facebook, even the young people are like, Facebook, that's so old school, right? They don't even have... Uh, but before you post on social media, think through, is this going to build unity? Or is this going to hurt unity from the people whom I disagree with? And I say, well, what about my voice? You have a voice. But let your voice be heard in healthy contexts that produce unity in listening. Amen? Let your voice be heard in a way that, that helps. Now, especially when it comes to church and our unity here, okay? If we start posting on Facebook, like, that sermon was terrible. That sermon was good. I liked it. Who turned the, you know, music on here or whatever? Not, we're not having that, but it won't be long. <laughs> then we're going to have Facebook. Let's rather put down the cell phone, put down the computer, and call up someone and say, hey, could we meet for coffee and have a coffee talk, okay? And we actually communicate face-to-face, voice-to-voice, and then what's the first thing we do? We ask questions, seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Amen? Okay, I'm off my social media platform. And uh, on to roles. Okay, so commitment, core, respect, communication, roles. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, we don't have to go there, but it says that God sets up some to be shepherds, prophets, teachers, evangelists, etc. Everyone has different roles. You know, back to Jordan's team that's struggling with their team unity. Okay, so there's a commitment issue. And then one of the things the coach said is that here's why we have playing time is, of course, all the parents. See, the issue is, well, that's not true. Usually with youth sports, the issue is with the parents, not with the youth, okay? But here, if you've coached youth sports, you, you know, I get a, I, you know, I already got a preach brother, okay? But uh, um, in this case, there's certain, num- certain players of the team where the, uh, that are refusing to play certain positions. Now, this is soccer, okay? Um, and I'm not a soccer guru or expert, but you kick the ball, right? I mean, uh, and you get it, you try to kick it that direction. I'm, I'm, I'm offending soccer experts right now. Um, so, but to refuse to play, I'm not playing defense. I don't know, but there was something in me. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was just my issues. When I heard the coach say that, I started to get like tingling up down my spine, like the hairs were standing up. Like, so let me just make sure I'm understanding. You having players paying hundreds of dollars to play soccer who are saying, and these are 12 year old girls, okay, I refuse to play that position. And in my heart, I'm like, well, you just refuse to play then. Here's a little spot on the bench uh, next to me until you get your attitude right, right? Now, maybe I don't know what that is in me. Um, but that's just not how the Holy Spirit rolls. I know that. Speaking of rules, all right, you have, you have these guys 
Barnabas was probably more of a relational glue context. Saul was more the, the teacher, the, the, the Pharisee, knew, knew the law, and you have these others. Uh, maybe Manan, who grew up in a courtroom, was a very clear thinker or whatever. Um, you have everyone playing these different roles working together. And then the last part, the challenge is to harmonize, harmony. Bringing our voice, your voice. Harmony happens when we have different sounds, but they come together as one, more of an orchestra. We bring our voice under the direction of the director. And who's the director of the church? Who's the director, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, amen? So we bring our voice under the direction of the director, and we get in concert with the other voices. All right, let's go back to Acts chapter 13. Uh, being sending ready. So we have all these different guys from different places. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Ascending ready group. You know, the Holy Spirit, in order to be ascending ready group, we need to have an adventurous type spirit. Genesis 12, verse 1, with the call of Abram, the call of Abraham, it was very much, hey, uh, you know what, actually, I just want to turn over there quick. Genesis 12, verse 1. This, we see the same spirit in the church in Acts. Because it's the spirit of God. Genesis 12, 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Called Abram to pick up and go. You say, where he's going to go? Didn't say where. Didn't say how. Said, you just got to go. And trust me, right? And there's an adventurous spirit to faith. So sending church must embrace this adventurous Holy Spirit. Um, first we see prayer and fasting and worship. It's a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. The church praying together, fasting, worshiping God. And then the Holy Spirit said, you ever think about that? It says, while they were doing this, the Holy Spirit said. How did he say it? How did that, like a voice through the PA system, or how, how did that work, actually? Did you ever think about that? And whom did he say it to? Was it just Barnabas and Saul? Was it just these five guys? Was it to the church? Okay. But the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they placed their hand, after they fasted and prayed, again, prayer, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Interesting right there. The first, verse 3 says, who, who sent them off? Who was it in verse 3? It was the church, right? And then verse 4, who was it? Sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. So which was it? Well, if a church is spiritual, it's both. It's both acting in one accord. Now, a lot of times you hear today a very individualistic, well, the Spirit told me this. We can be overly individualistic, or we can just sit around and do nothing until the church asks us to do something. So ascending church, the Spirit is moving institutionally and individually. It's a combination. It's a working together. It's strategic and adventurous or mysterious. Well, the Spirit moves in mysterious ways. That's true, but also God is a God of order. So this is the first time in the book of Acts that we start to see the gospel spread in more of a strategic fashion. So it's more intentional. 
Does that make sense? Not just as a result of, of persecution and just kind of wandering. The church is starting to get intentional about spreading the gospel. So it's strategic and spiritual, and they're staying and going. So if we're going to be ascending church, guess what? We've got to have some people who are willing to go. There was a couple that uh, shared with my wife last week. By the way, when we plant the church on the cross, we want to go. Amen? That's the kind of spirit. Hey, we want to go. I know some have a, a, a vision to plant a church in Marquette, Michigan. Uh, Mike and Lisa Winholz were ready to go to Duluth. So we want to go to Duluth and help strengthen the church there. We had a lunch the other day for Sioux Falls, and a number of people came and says, hey, I'm interested in praying about this and thinking about this. That's the kind of spirit, that's the kind of culture that we always want to have. Amen? Now, not everyone can go, though. Sometimes there's, when you have that culture, you get guilty about not going. Wait a second. Did all of them go? Barnabas and Saul went, but the three others stayed behind. Why do you think? Continue to, the word of God to spread in Antioch, right? In a, so there's a staying and a going. So guys, as we prepare for communion, I want us to think about Jesus. I want us to remember Jesus. First of all, the unity that Jesus brings. He takes diverse, all nations, and he brings them as one in him, one in Christ. That takes communication, humility, respect, listening, all kinds of things. And, but it wasn't just for the sake of that oneness. It was so they can spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus had a dream. And we see it start to really begin to come true. So as we take communion, let's think about Jesus. Let's think about the Antioch church here as an inspiration for us. A unified team, sending ready, that God will use to catapult the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Father, thank you so much for the book of Acts. Thank you for the church that we see forming in Antioch. It's such an, such an inspiring group of people from all over the world, diverse in different uh, races, different ages, different cultures, and yet through your spirit you made them one. Father, I pray that as we remember Jesus, if there's any division amongst us, if there's any uh, uh, issues or whatever, that we can uh, become unified in Christ. God, I pray that we can remember Jesus as, uh, as he prepares to send us, whether we're sending or, or going or staying, Father, that, um, that we will be inspired because Jesus came from heaven. He was sent from heaven to earth to live, to die, to be buried, and to raise again. And we believe that he's, he will return someday. Father, we take this time of communion to remember Jesus, uh, to celebrate all that he's done, all that he is, all that he will do for us, and to remember him and proclaim his name until he returns. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.